Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of May 9th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. Acts chapter 13. So you may remember from school, maybe literature or English class, this quote. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Practice to deceive. Okay, so if I were to ask you where that comes from, anyone want to venture a guess? I heard Shakespeare. That's what I always thought it was too. I found out this week that actually did not come from Shakespeare. It sounds like it does. You know where it comes from? Do you know where it comes from? Oh, the, uh, <laughs> sorry. Where that quote comes from, the, the, the Tangled Web uh, quote. Do you know where that comes from? Oh, the Tangled Web. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, I'm sorry, I put you on the spot there. I thought you were nodding like you understood. I'm sorry. Well, it comes from a guy named Sir Walter Scott. And, uh, but yeah, I, I always thought it came from Shakespeare, too. Now, it's, it's a quote we all know. It's a quote we've all heard. Well, we come to Acts chapter 13 this morning. We're going to see a guy who's webbing a weave, weaving a web. <laughs> yeah, it's got W's in it. It just it's a little confusing. In it weaving a web. That's what I was trying to. <laughs> you just you just realized what I did, didn't you? <laughs> and everybody goes, "Oh, that was funny, Brett." <laughs> yeah, just think when I try to be funny, it doesn't work that good. But so we, we see a guy in Acts chapter thirteen today who's trying to weave a web of deception. And we're going to see it get him into a lot of trouble. Uh, Acts chapter 13, we're going to begin reading in verse 4. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for so his name translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make, the crooked, to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord." Heavenly Father, as we read this passage, as we study it for a few moments this morning, I pray that you would make your truth known to us, that we would see clearly what you have to say for us, and that, Lord, we would be strengthened and encouraged this morning by it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, as we began this chapter, we looked at the first few verses. We looked at the church at Antioch taking some steps to send out, if you will, the very first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. We saw them come together in prayer. We saw the Holy Spirit come down upon that gathering and tell that church to send out Saul and Barnabas to spread the gospel among the Gentiles. And so that was what we saw last week. So this morning we see that they have left on their trip. 
And their first stop is the island of Cyprus, which is, by the way, Barnabas' home. You may remember, we saw earlier in Acts that Barnabas is from Cyprus. It's about 60 miles west of Antioch into the Mediterranean Sea. So it's not very far away. They've taken with them a young man by the name of John Mark. Uh, he's just called John here, but he's the, he's, he'll later be known as John Mark or Mark. He's the Mark that writes the Gospel of Mark. Uh, later on down the line. He's also, if you remember a couple chapters back, uh, when we had the account of Peter being rescued from jail by the angel, and he shows up to the house where they're praying for Peter to be released, that's Mark's mom's house. So Mark is heavily involved in the stories of, of, of the book of Acts. He's involved in the early church. He's also, by the way, a cousin to Barnabas. So there's all kinds of connections running through here. So Mark, as well as Saul and Barnabas, head to Cyprus, uh, Barnabas's home area, and sent off by the Holy Spirit, recognized by the church. And they get there, and they work their way essentially, if you were looking on the map, they, they land on the eastern coast of, of Cyprus. They just walk and work their way from east to west, sharing the gospel in mostly the synagogues at first with the Jewish people. This is going to be a pattern we will see that Paul will use quite frequently on his missionary journeys. And as they, they go through this process, they meet someone that's uh, a little bit out of the ordinary. They met this guy named Bar-Jesus, who was also known as Elymas. Elymas simply means magician. And this guy named Bar-Jesus, and by the way, that name means son of salvation or son of Jesus. Um, and of course, the name seems to be somewhat ironic here, because clearly this guy is not helping to bring life to those around him. Um, they come across Bar-Jesus, and they call him the rest of the way by Elymas, which just simply means magician. And uh, this guy is actively opposed to the spread of the gospel. You know, as we encounter or as we live our Christian lives, as we perhaps even attempt to share the gospel with others from time to time, we will occasionally come across those or we'll come across circumstances that are designed, it seems, to oppose or to get in the way. Um, uh, ben will probably remember this. We took uh, several mission trips as a youth group at our previous church. And oftentimes we would find ourselves kind of in a backyard Bible club setting. We might be in a mobile home park or an apartment complex. And we would be doing a kind of a vacation Bible school or backyard Bible club, working with all the kids for that particular area. And it seems like inevitably when you're working outside in an, outside, in an outdoor area like that, in a park or in a, a neighborhood or a rec area, that everything goes fine until the point in time you want to tell the scriptures. You want to tell the gospel story. Um, and, and one of them I remember in particular, we were actually in southeast Georgia, and we were working, I think, in a mobile home park, and uh, a couple of our students, I think Ben was one of them, was about to share the gospel with all these kids who were getting out there. And no sooner than he be they began with the gospel presentation than what sometimes is running around neighborhood parks and uh, dogs. And not just any dog, really friendly, cute dogs. Now, I don't care how dynamic of a children's speaker you are, if you've got 30 kids in there in the, in the, on, the, on the yard in front of you and a cute, friendly dog shows up, where does the attention go? The dog. It just is. If a dog comes in here right now, y'all will leave me, you will, you will ignore me. <laughs> That's why we keep the doors closed. By the way, I don't know if y'all know this, back in the summer last year when we first started uh, meeting again after the COVID kind of shut down for the first few months. And some of you who were here back then may remember that we kept 
these doors open for a little while early on when we first started meeting. What you may not know is, I think it was the second Sunday. Ernie, do you remember this? What happened? Dog. Y'all don't know this. Y'all didn't see it. But I think it went, came in that door, ran back down the hallway, and out the other door as I was, as I was, uh, as I was preaching. Y'all never saw it. From that point forward, we kept the doors closed. <laughs> we get distractions. Things happen. Things get in the way. Now, a dog is not particularly evil, but Elymas here, who is actively opposing the gospel, is going to be a problem. He's going to put himself in the middle. He's going to try to distract and prevent the gospel from being heard. The truth is, when we live Christian lives, when we share the gospel, when we try to love on other people, sometimes there are those who would oppose the work of God. Now, this guy, this, this, thing, this Elymas the magician, he's, actually, he's actively opposing them there. It tells us this in verse 8. Now, we have the word magician here. You may think that looks kind of familiar. It actually is. It's the exact same word used to describe who we call the three wise men, the magi. Those guys that showed up at the Gospel of Matthew to uh, point to and to worship the newborn Christ as king. It's the same word. And probably, uh, and, and the Magi were a, a known group of guys that kind of were from Persia, uh, Babylon of that day and age. And they were seen as kind of mystics and seers and, and those types of things. Well, no doubt this, this guy here, this Bar-Jesus, this Elymas here, is kind of building on that reputation. He's used the reputation of the, quote, magi, these magicians, these seers, these sorcerers, if you will, to, ga- to garner himself some position of influence, some position of, 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 uh, of power, maybe even some kind of fame or wealth. <clears throat> and he's putting himself in that position. In other words, he's a counterfeit. He's a fake. One of the things that happens throughout the Word of God is you see uh, one, one of the typical uh, patterns of Satan is that he will take something that God has done and Satan will attempt to counterfeit it, mimic it, imitate it, give you some type of poor fake and replacement of what God has provided. Now we see this as something as quick or as obvious in Revelation like the Antichrist. The Antichrist is Satan's attempt to imitate the real thing. Sin is an invitation to imitate the real joy and the real pleasure and the real things that God has for you. When God gives us His plan in Scripture, it's not to depress us or to make us miserable. It is to, in fact, provide us the opportunity for the most joy, the most fulfilling life. Jesus said to have abundant life. But what Satan does is he gives you temptation, he gives you sin, and he entices you with those things that are wrong, telling you that's the way you'll be really fulfilled, and yet the truth is sin is always a pale fake of the real purposes and plans of God. So what's happening here is you have this guy, this magician, the sorcerer, this guy who claims to be able to do magic, and all this type of thing is nothing more than a counterfeit of the real things. And by the way, God warns us about these counterfeits. He warns us about these fakes. And in particular, God, in fact, does warn us in, throughout Scripture about guys like Elymas, guys who would practice this type of, quote, supernatural stuff. In fact, let me read for you just a few places where this where this takes place. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God gives some 
descriptions to the people of Israel and tells them that when you enter the land the Lord your God's giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. He goes on, to seek spirituality, knowledge, or power apart from God is, in fact, idolatry. God takes witchcraft or those who would dabble in the supernatural things very seriously. And he says it's detestable. And why does God say that? Because it is a counterfeit. It is fake. So whether it's something as simple as what you might think was a horoscope or whether it's something a little more in-depth like tarot cards, or whether you're uh, uh, calling up a psychic hotline. The truth is, those are the more obvious examples. The Bible calls these things evil, because they're imitations. There are those things that tend to, or say that they speak with authority, but they don't. They actually are fakes. They are undermining the Word of God. They take our attention away from God, and God says there are really radical consequences to doing things and participating in things like Elymas is doing here in Acts chapter 13. God warns his people repeatedly. Elymas is full there in verse 10. He says, Paul says that Elymas is full of deceit and full of fraud. That is, he's crafty. He's, he's a decoy. He's mischievous. He's cunning. He's got guile. He's, he's planning and plotting for his own personal benefit. Now, we see here that the reason he is doing this, he wants to see the proconsul, the Sergius Paulus. He doesn't want to see this guy believe the gospel. And why is that? Because if, the Sergio, if, if, if Sergio Paulus believes the gospel, what's he going to do with Elymas? He's going to boot him out there, isn't he? Because he will have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will now know the truth of who God is, and the fake will be obvious. I had a friend of mine that used to work for, when we were in college, that used to work for a bank. He was a teller for a while. And uh, I asked him, I said, how do, they, how, how do you figure out how to tell, you know, fake money from real money? I mean, some of it's pretty obvious. If you show up to the bank with Monopoly money, <laughs> I, I, could, I could figure that one out. But, you know, a lot of counterfeit money is pretty convincing. And I said, how, did, how do they teach you to recognize a fake? And he said, well, what they do is, They don't actually give you counterfeit money. They give you the real thing. You become so familiar with real money that anything, no matter how small or minute, you recognize when it's off. So, because you can't prepare for for the the umpteen different ways that someone might try to counterfeit money. There's all kinds of different ways you could fake it. So they get you so familiar with the real thing that when anything pops up as fake, you immediately see it. You recognize it. What What God is doing through Paul is he's presenting the real thing. And Elymas is trying to counter, he's trying to fake it. He's trying to present a counterfeit truth. And the last thing he wants is for his, his, uh, his, his source of influence, his source of wealth, his source of power. The last thing he wants is for Sergio Paulus to recognize the truth, because that means Elymas will be out. So because of that, he engages in lies and deceit and craftiness. He is full of fraud. He's trying to keep prevent the gospel from being made known. By the way, there's another danger to this. I want to take you very quickly here uh, to Psalm 115. 
Here's the danger to counterfeit. Here's the danger to falling for a fake. Here's the, here's the danger in devoting ourselves to something that's not true. Psalm 115 begins this. begins with this. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. One of the warnings of idolatry, one of the, war, one of the warnings in Scripture of pursuing false truth is that we will become like that which we worship. One of the truths of, of the Old Testament, one of the truths of Scripture is that those who worship idols, those who worship as something that cannot see, will themselves become blind. Those who will worship a piece of a statue or a rock that cannot hear will themselves become deaf. Those who worship something that has no life will themselves become what? Dead. When we worship the wrong thing, when we worship falsehoods, when we worship lies, when we pursue things like what Elemas is doing, Elemas is presenting himself in a spiritual authority type of way, that he has access to some truth, that he has access to some secret knowledge, that he has access to some spiritual power. And so he says, come to me and I will give you these things. But the problem with Elemas is everything he has is a fake. Everything he has is untrue. It's counterfeit. It's powerless. And what's going to happen not only to Elemas, but to the people who listen to him? They will also become blind and fraudulent and lifeless and powerless. It's a warning that Scripture gives to us. Elemas is full of deceit. He is full of fraud. And he has listened to the wrong authority. And he is now nothing much more than a con man. And what will happen to him? Look at what Paul does. He says in verse 11, The Lord, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be what? Blind. Now, it wasn't a permanent blindness. It was a temporary one. But God's trying to make a point to Elemas. You are pursuing something that will make you blind. That will keep you and prevent you from knowing the truth. Elemas was trying to keep those around him. He was trying to make them spiritually blind. He wanted the, the proconsul of Cyprus, he wanted that guy to be spiritually blind because if that guy was blind, that meant Elemas had stuff. It meant Elemas had power. It was beneficial to his material life on earth if that guy remained spiritually blind. So Elemas was opposing the gospel and doing so through deceit and through fraud. When you and I find ourselves going to sources of truth other than Scripture, when we find ourselves listening to those who would give us alternate directions to life apart from God who made us, we are in danger. The curse of blindness here is meant to illustrate the result of such pursuit. To go anywhere but Scripture as your primary source for understanding who God is, who we are, who this, what this world is, is to invite blindness and deafness and lifelessness. Whether they're actual magicians or sorcerers or simple con artists. You know, there are those, 
I remember I mentioned a mission trip. We took a mission trip to New Orleans at one point, about 2011. And if you've ever been to downtown New Orleans, um, you get to meet all kinds of people. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. And I remember we actually, you know, we came across fortune tellers and those, those type of things that, you know, charge a little bit of money for, you to, for the privilege of reading your palm or telling you your future or whatever else. And some of them are just obvious con artists. And some of them you're kind of going, wow, there's something spiritual. There's, there's, there's something really actually dark about them. The truth is Satan does have some influence. He does have some power. But his power is always imitation power, fake power, counter to the work and the truth of God. It's weak compared to the work of the Creator. So whether it's someone who may actually have some type of demonic, spiritual, evil power about them, or whether it's simply a con artist, whatever it might be, when we go to someone like that, they are bent and their, their desire is to deceive you, to, to con you, to get you to trust in someone other than the God who made you. And to do that is to put yourself in harm's way. This guy here is probably little more than a con man. He's out to further his own lifestyle. He's out to further his own position of influence in the area of Cyprus. He's letting his personal ambition, if you will, and his own personal success and comfort block his and others' understanding of the gospel and the way to, to Christ Jesus. Maybe we don't think we have a problem with, quote, magic today. But... If we're not careful, we can find ourselves trusting the wrong sources of truth. The key phrase here when Paul talks to him is this phrase right here at the end of verse 10. When he says to, says to this guy, Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? This is a little bit of a play on words with what you might remember was the point and the purpose of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner to Christ. And in the early part of the Gospels, his role is to proclaim and to make straight the paths for the way of the Lord, to prepare the way for the king. And yet what we find here in Cyprus is Elymas is doing the exact opposite. He's trying to block. He's trying to make crooked. He's trying to deceive. He's trying to fraudulently move people away from the king. He's trying to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. He's looking out for his own benefits only. And by the way, when we do the same thing, here's one of our warnings this morning. If we approach this week with the goal simply of how can I live this week to benefit myself? How can I live this week to make myself materially more comfortable, more successful? We are in danger of doing the exact same thing that Elemas is doing, and we can find ourselves abandoning the truth of God's word for short-term material benefits. How many times did Christ say, my kingdom's not of this world, or how much did he say, do not value, do not store for yourselves treasures on this earth? He said, instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven. And those who would say the opposite, those who would tell you the Christian life is all about getting prosperity in the material sense are doing the exact same thing Elymas is doing. They're making crooked the straight ways of the Lord. But anytime we trust a source of truth other than God himself. We are in danger here. Now again, maybe we, we don't think we're necessarily turning to evil places as sources of information. But he has influence. This guy's got influence. He's got power. He's got respect. And when the truth of Christ 
threatens those things in this world, the world will respond in kind. And there will be obstacles, there will be barriers. When we approach, even as Christians, if we approach our spiritual lives with an attitude of selfishness of what's in it for me alone, we can find ourselves in trouble. Because the life we live is not for ourselves, but it's for Him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 is our theme verse around here. And that talks about how that we, as a people of God, find ourselves as those who now do no longer live for ourselves, but live for Him who died on our behalf. Our lives are now His, and we live for His sake, not for our own. Our motto on our, on our signs, together with for Christ. We live now for Christ with the gospel to the world. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ. And to live for ourselves is to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Elimus interferes. He gets in the way. He distorts the truth. He's trying to instill spiritual blindness in those around him, and he's trying to make sure they don't understand the truth of the gospel. And the result is, he becomes what he's trying to do. It is blind. He becomes what his idols are, and that is helpless. So that he will hopefully learn the truth. Elimus interferes with the gospel. Of course, he is. He's, he's a false prophet. But God takes care of this. The reality is for us this morning, there are many things that can interfere with either us sharing the gospel with somebody else, and there are many things that can interfere with our own walk with and knowing of our Savior. And one of those chief things is deception and fraud. Satan himself is called the father of lies. And I know we like to think of ourselves, well, he can't fool me. I've got it figured out. Satan can't pull one over my eyes. Let me tell you something, and I include myself in this, we as human beings, even as Christians, we're a gullible lot. God did not, God called us a bunch of sheep. And no one ever says, boy, that guy's as smart as a sheep. Unless they're trying to insult somebody. <laughs> I tell you what, guys, you and me, we're easily deceived. Guys like Elemus or even better con artists than him, can deceive even the people of God into believing and doing things that aren't right. Can block our own spiritual walk with the Lord. We've got to be careful. We have got to be in the Word of the Lord. We cannot walk with God on a regular basis, on a truthful basis, and not be in the truth of God's Word. It's how we know the fake from the real. It's how we know the counterfeit from the real, genuine thing. Elemus is in the way. He's subverting the gospel, and God blinds him. The proconsul believes upon seeing the truth. I'll say this one last thing. God will not be defeated. God's truth will be proclaimed. Elemus got in the way. God said, you think you got the real thing? Elemus, you think you can blind someone? I'll show you what blindness looks like. God wins. He cannot be overcome. You and I this morning serve a, a Lord, a, a God who created us, and He will overcome. Rest in Him. Follow Him for truth. 
Do not make crooked the straight ways of the Lord.